I'll read it. You can follow and read as you go. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write. These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do, me, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Are you hearing something? If we were to look at the seven letters written and just look at them one by one right now, we would notice something different about this one. In all the other six, there is some form of correction. There's a pointing out of something lacking. Maybe, maybe not at all. In Philadelphia, there's more like an opportunity than a correction. But there's some form of action required by those hearing. But in this one, there's just simply, it's hard, it's been tough going to get tougher. Hang in there. Did you get that? What a, what, a, what a great verse to hear from God. Let's read it again. Go back to the top. You know, the prophet showed up and gave you that wonderful prophecy. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who was the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Well, that part's pretty good. I'll take that, God. Uh, that's a good prophecy. You can speak to me that. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I don't quite understand it, but that's okay. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So you're just ready now. That, that's good. Now you're ready for the positive one, aren't you? you know? Oh God, you know I'm going through a hard time, and now you're about to tell me it? Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> but he says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And by the way, the devil didn't show up in person. He just showed up through persons. Uh, he'll put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Just got encouraged? <laughs> oh. Whoever is ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. They may die, but they won't be hurt at all by the second death. Man, let's go on to the next slide, and uh, I think it's verse 1, isn't it? And you put up the clock, um, Logan, so I don't go too long. Yeah. So we're going to look at this church in Smyrna and, and uh, I've been around a few circles this week uh, to get here and, and probably from the result of this morning there's about 10 pages of scribble on my 
this, but that was after yesterday and that was after Friday and that's after I finished on Thursday. Because how do you preach? And I realised what I was doing is I was skirting around the line in the middle. Be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. So I think if I was just to say what I think God wants you to hear in your spirit this morning is be faithful unto death. Because sometimes it doesn't seem like a positive enough message to share you know, in church. Um, it's the sort of thing we just read quietly to ourselves. Okay, God, I'll do that. Uh, but, but here we are. So the church in Smyrna. So let's go to the first verse. We're just going to go through it one by one, and verse by verse, and just, just uh, have a few thoughts so you can hear what God's got for you to say. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. These are the words of him as the first and the last who died and came to life again. And it's talking about Jesus. I hope everyone got that or got close to that. If you did it, you know, that's okay. If you all knew it, being in church. But if you've been around for any length of time, you should have got it. He's talking about Jesus. In fact, there's an interesting, another interesting fact here that you could do. If you read all seven of the letters and looked at the introductions at the, at the start, you could find those phrases also back in chapter 1. And so there's a different aspect. Chapter 1 gives us revelation, this picture of Jesus, and there's a different aspect of that is used in, to introduce to each of these seven churches. And the thought is, that's what's going to give them encouragement in the trial, the situation, the season, the opportunity that they face. And so he's saying to these believers in this church in Smyrna, a little town about 50 kilometres north of Ephesus, on the coast, with a harbour, an ancient town, like, you know, what was, wasn't you, and they loved Rome in Smyrna, so they'd been really early on and worshipping Rome and putting up statues to Roman gods and uh, so forth and so on. And, and so it was quite a prosperous place. like to think of itself as significant, like most places. You know, that, that's, that's the place to be. And, and the church had got into that place there, probably in Acts 19, when Apostle Paul was preaching in Ephesus, and it says that the gospel went through all of Asia. And Jesus has come and said, I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end, he says in another place. The Alpha and Omega, that's the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. And, and he also says in Hebrews, I'm the author and the perfector. We could go into, I think it's in First Peter 2, we see him as the cornerstone, but in Ephesians he's also the capstone. What's all that's saying? It's not saying a whole list of different things. It's saying the same thing for many different ways as everything begins in Jesus and ends in Jesus. He is the living word who spoke and as he spoke the spirit moved and creation came into being. Psalm 33. And the word went forth, and the breath caused stars to come into sky. He's the beginning of all that is created. And all creation finds its fulfillment in him. And I hope your mind is holding, thinks, I don't get it. That's right, because you live in the middle of it. So you'll never be able to get it. But then you come to being a Christian and all faith begins in Jesus. All hope begins in Jesus. All life, the life we have in God begins and ends in Jesus. He's the first, he will be the last. He is the beginning and he'll be at the end. 
And so this is meant to be an encouragement. Then what place you're in right now is not permanent. But Jesus is. There's a little, uh, I won't go there today, that's another day. Yeah, let's, let's go out. He died and came to life again. What a hope, eh? He said, you guys are in a trial, it will kill some of you, but they killed me and I came to life again. So let's, let's keep going, next verse, because I want to just, just move on. Uh, that's why, yeah. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. I've, I've realised a few years ago that, that uh, yeah, everyone thinks the people a little bit wealthier than them are the rich ones and they're the ones who aren't. <laughs> uh, you, get what I, you get what I mean there. It's relevant, isn't it? At a certain level. But in extremes, it's not relevant. It's real. Yeah. What he's saying is, I know your afflictions. Um, different verse, verses, words you could put there. I know your sufferings. I know it's been hard at times just to be alive. And I know that being a Christian sometimes has caused it to be hard. One of the unfortunate things in their world is that, did anyone read what I posted on, anyone read, post on the community page, this um, uh, little series of statements that was sourced from a document written in the second century? And, and uh, you can go and find it on the community page. I just found it on some history page. But I, I had an idea of most of those things beforehand, but I just sort of brought them out. So one of the things that happened was the economy and worship and everything was all wound up in the one thing called the Roman sort of empire. And, and they worshipped all sorts of gods and they didn't sort of mind which they were. You could worship more than one. Uh, well, Christians didn't worship any of them. Because they worshipped the uncreated God. And they were called atheists. A strange claim. You're the atheists. Because you don't have a God in a temple with a box around them. Uh, unfortunately, some Christians have tried, therefore, to put their God in a building in a box around them, you know, intellectually. But, but he, he's not. He never will be. And, and so they called them atheists. But, but this is how they thought. When we do the right things and keep the gods happy, Life goes well for us. When we do the wrong things and the gods get unhappy with us, life goes bad for us. So when something went bad, they would see the Christians not keeping their gods happy and blame them because everyone's looking for a scapegoat. And then they'd want to put pressure on them to conform. You've got to be like us. And then we'll all feel good. And the gods will be happy. And maybe things will be better. And so they put pressure on them. And it was very, and that's one of the reasons he says you're in poverty. Is it was hard for them to succeed financially because of their faith. Opportunities didn't come the same way. Also, anyway, I won't go there yet. So we've got this picture of living in affliction. And the slander that came from those. They say they are Jews but are not but of the synagogue of Satan. So there's also, a, um, according to some writers, a significant group of, uh, you know, there was a time when all the Jews living in Israel scattered uh, before 
Christ. And so they were all over the Roman Empire and all over the known world. And they, there was a significant, we'd call it a colony, wouldn't we, of Jews in the, in the city. They just didn't get to colonise the city, just a little colony. And they had a synagogue. And you might remember some of you what some Pharisee said to Jesus in Matthew 12, I think it's verse 24, when he, was, he, he just delivered someone from their oppression and, and, and from some form of demonic thing that had been harassing them. And, and now they were in, this, you know, in a good place and had peace when they didn't have peace. And, and along come the Pharisees who were like religious experts of the Jews and, and they said, oh, he could only do this by the power of Beelzebub or by the power of the devil. He used that to cast out devils because they didn't want to credit him with anything to do with God. So that thought has continued. And so you've got the Christians living a certain way. And of course Christians and, and Jews believe the same, in the same God and the same book. It's just the Christians have now seen it to Jesus that is the fulfilment of this book and through that they see the book and Jews reject Jesus. So in Australia it's always those who are closest to you who disagree from you who will be the hardest. And so they said... The Jews, the Christians only do what they do because of the power of the devil working through them. And this, you know, he's right, he just flips it back on them. No, no, remember, they're the synagogue of Satan. So I'm going back to this, I just want to spend a moment on this idea. If God is really God, and I think he is, who says he is, this idea, why is there so much suffering? And I can't answer that question. But I can't give one thought that, that just may give some insight. And it does fit into this, this, these passages of Scripture and this idea we talked about last week, for those who are here, of these two trees in the garden. And whether they're actual trees, and I think they may have been, but it doesn't matter, but they represent two ways of living in this created world. One was the tree of life, one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One had a fruit of life, one had the fruit of death. One was living in relationship with God, a relationship of trust in his love, a relationship of, you know, of communion, of fellowship, and in that, information passes. It happens. One was taking it upon ourselves, you know, closing the system, leaving God out of it, taking it upon ourselves to be those who can figure out good and evil and work it out and apply it which puts us into the seat of being a judge and we've got to live from our own wits. And he says, he says that's there. The fruit of that is always death. And the picture we, got, we grasp from the Bible is, and you can pick up a verse like 1 John 5.19, which simply says this, and we know that the whole world is under the power of the evil one or under the control of the evil one. Well, what's he mean by that? He's not talking about the planet and the trees and the fanua. Fanua, is that right word? The earth, the ground. He's talking about the, the world of people and the systems and the cultures and the, all those ways that we get things done and work together, all those things. He says they're all under the power of the evil one. Why? Because they all... Will flow back to eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the choice always remains the same. Do I live by a simple 
but profound trust in God. Or do I live by what I've figured out and think I know about God? Oh, or anything else. So, so you've got this, this, this picture. It's awful. So if you're living from your knowledge of good and evil, if you're trying to live from what you can figure out, you feel safe when you think you've figured out enough to be safe. Does that make sense? I've got my world worked out. I can control this much stuff. If I stay in the realm of what I've figured out and can control, I feel safe. And if you disturb that, that's a problem. That's a problem to me. Because now I feel threatened. It might be a little threat, it might be a big threat, but there's still a sense of disturbance to my, oh, I don't feel good anymore because my little concepts of how it all works and me living in that makes me feel in control, makes me feel safe because I'm living at the tree of knowledge of good and evil and now that's disturbed, I feel a little threatened, unsafe, uncomfortable and, and uh, those sort of words come into it and it's big degrees until it gets to the point that, that I'm feeling so unsafe, I've got to try and cut you right out. Or if I'm powerful enough, blot you right out. In some way that's been worked out all the time. And it creates disturbance after disturbance after disturbance. From, you know, from two people who can't, friends who don't get on, to families breaking down, the whole of our political realm works like that, to wars. It's just not possible when we're camped at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to achieve peace that's not brief and short-lived. And one of the things we've done there, as it says in 1 John 5.19, it's just a wee inside. It's not the only answer. It's not the complete answer of, of why there's suffering that we face. It says the whole world is under the control of the evil. Well, actually, well, not actually. It could just say this. The whole world is in the evil one, or in evil, or in a fallen place, or diseased, or corrupted. And, and the picture could be this, and you know, over here at the tree of life, given the tree of life's over here, not over there, but for this story it's here, um, the tree of life, this is where the life flows by the Spirit of God. So when I come to just trust God, His Spirit becomes part of me. And now we're, there's this one Spirit between us. It's the presence of God Himself. So His Spirit, His love, He is the one making it work. I am the one responding to that. You know, He created it, He started it, it works that way. When I shut off that, I descend from having this relationship um, that's run and essential and powered and worked out by the Spirit of God. Over here at the tree of knowledge you can even, all I've got is what I can bring. So there's a descent that's taken place. Some form, you know, we used to talk about the fall. Uh, it, it may be not the best language, but there's definitely a shift that has taken place that has gone down. We've descended because the only power I've got now is the power I can generate. And I can collaborate with a few people and we can add together our powers. And by the way, we can be pretty, you know, 
pretty powerful in the terms of imagination and getting things done, but it's still only what we can generate. So even at the good side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we still lack. Because we, we can work with every bit of effort we've got and every bit of intelligence and harness as many people as possible to try and produce a world in which people will love one another, will we'll fight to maintain peace with each other. Let's not fight with people, but fight to maintain peace with each other. By, yeah. and, and, and have these sort of, um, yeah, get on with each other. But we still can only do it from our resources. And that is ascended from doing it with God's resources. And so there's affliction. And so there's trouble. You know, um, one guy I read on this said, we live a, in, in the West and a, uh, largely in a society that has adopted a form of religion that those who look on and critique these things have called secular humanism to have a label. He says, you say, we're worshipping ourselves. We're worshipping ourselves as humanity. And there's sort of this idealistic belief that if we can give the maximum number of people the maximum amount of freedom, that somehow the whole world will evolve into a utopia. It, it's influenced by the gospel, the thinking. And that we'll all love each other and be kind with each other. Kind, kind, kind. And patient and, and all these things that flow off that. And so we're trying to attain some of what God has promised and indicated is meant to be our destiny without him. So in one way, for those who have some understanding of Scripture and the Gospel, you could say, we're trying to produce the fruit of the Spirit without the Spirit. Just from our effort. That leaves us frustrated, it leaves us harassed, it leaves us striving, it leaves us stressed, it leaves us uh, in conflict with other people because we come up with different ways to get there and then we're continually dividing and falling. And let alone those who just couldn't care less about the good side and just try and get as much out of this world as they can for power and control. So, so there's a little bit of why I don't want to go, that's long enough on all that. I know your afflictions. See, God didn't come into the world to solve everything at once. He came in to invite people back to the tree of life. And, and my brief understand, little understand that is, he wants as many people as possible to make that choice. Because there's nothing in God that wants to hurt anybody. But if he just came in and went to solve everything today and make everything just perfect, I don't know where I'd be. Where would you be? <laughs> and gave everybody just desserts for how they treated other people. You know, so he's, he's, he's working to save people, not systems, not structures, not institutions, not governments, not economics, to save people. So, moving on. So I know your afflictions, verse 10, and we get into the uh, real meat here. Maybe not a long time. Next verse. So do not fear of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison and you may be tested and you will have tribulations for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. As we've mentioned, the church in those days lived, lived, you know, existed in a place that 
they were out of step with the government. And, and that happens in the world today. It's, it's not uncommon in countries uh, around the world. It's just uncommon in New Zealand and countries like New Zealand. And, and so once, uh, and this government was the Roman government, so it was very close to, uh, you know, one world government and one world economy. And, and uh, you may have heard some of you, you'd know about the dust up in Ephesus, uh, 50Ks down the road. They had a massive marketplace. It was sort of like a world trade centre almost, given their current world and the centre of trade routes. Obviously it was different, eh, cause, but it was a major um, place of trade. And sitting over the top of that in the highest place over the temple, there was a massive temple there to a goddess called Diana or Artemis, depending if you're Greek or Roman. And the same person, different names, different backgrounds. And so, so sitting over the top of that, at the highest point, uh, was a, a figure of the current emperor. And he put himself up there. And uh, so he was the first thing you saw when you sailed into the city or came in on the road, the highest point. And he had put himself over a, like a room, big tent room, full of figures of many different gods, like the, you know, I don't know what they call it today, they would have said a pantheon of gods. And, and so he was the God of gods, the Lord of lords. And because he was the emperor of Rome, he was the king of kings. And because he was the emperor of Rome, he was the saviour of the world. And because he was the emperor of Rome and he was, saw himself descended from the emperor who had been named God, he was the son of God. All these were literal terms used in his writings and letters they find. And, and because of what he had done and putting himself above it all and the way things worked out, if you can't, they, they, some people had given him a nickname. The Beast. And if you came from land or by sea, the first thing you saw coming to Ephesus was the beast. And everything was under his sway and control. And so in Revelation 13, it says the beast by land and further down the beast by sea. Uh, but what they had also done is put some temples in these, um, this marketplace. And I know some of you know this. And as you came into the marketplace, the first thing you had to do was go to one of the temples and offer a sacrifice, an offering to this emperor who saw himself as God whose nickname was the beast, who ruled the whole world, and nothing happened in that world that he didn't want to happen. He could just, no power over him, and you had to get a, and they put a mark on you. And now that you've been marked, you can trade in the marketplace. But if you haven't got that mark, you couldn't trade in the marketplace. That was just back in the days in the 90 ADs, about 70-something through to 90-plus AD, AD with this particular emperor. You see a whole lot of things through Revelation, that actually, when it was being written, they would have been thinking about, oh, that's right, yeah. So, anyway, every, every now and then in these cities, uh, they would have games. Like, a bunch of games in their big theatres and stadiums, and Smyrna had a big stadium uh, for their day, 20,000 seats. It's amazing what they could do right, about our, you know, cranes and tractors, just men and stones. They were pretty amazing, the Romans, at what they could build. And, uh, and they had to do these games. So the games were essentially a whole lot of fun, keeping a whole lot of people happy, entertainment, and celebrating being Roman. And celebrating the emperor. It was a massive festival of, yay, we're Roman, Roman's great, and the emperor is everything. So it's also a great opportunity for persecution on those who don't agree with you. 
In fact, in 155 AD, in the city of Smyrna, um, there was a guy there called Polycarp. Polycarp was 86 years old in 155 AD, which means he's probably in his 20s. He's probably there when this letter was read out in the city, so he survived a bit through a few persecutions. And he was the, seen as the leader of the church, the bishop of the church in Smyrna, and he had been a disciple of Apostle John, the one who wrote Revelation and the books of John. And at, and at that age, 150 AD, during the games, someone started cheering, the Christians, find a Christian. I don't know what they said, but essentially it actually came a thing, and they went out and they got Polycarp and they brought him in. Unplanned, all about just the frenzy of celebration and the joy, and you know, and they said, right there, Polycarp, worship Caesar. And he says no, and he died. So this is the sort of thing that was about to happen when it says here. You know a season is coming up when the normal load persecution of Christians and went up and down, and it wasn't like constant the same every day. It, it, you know, there were some variations that went on in locations and in times over this couple of hundred years uh, of the first days of the church. But the games was when it went up. So here's the word of God. He says to them, just be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. You're about to face acute pressure because you are a believer. Some of you will get put in prison. It's possible some may die. So here's my word to you. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. Urgent. What a challenging statement. Not really, not really too much to say there, is there? Uh, Jesus, faithful unto death. Faithful unto death. Our whole gospel is built on that Jesus did not break faith with his Father in heaven. in the face of lies, in the face of accusation, in the face of death. Unjust, undeserved death. It's just he just simply was faithful to God. Faithful to his Father. Faithful to the one he knew loved him. Faithful to his being the beloved son of his Father in heaven. I was thinking the other day about a um, something about church and kingdom, and some of you will get this, some maybe not quite. You know, we have this talk about apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists. We don't just talk, it's written down in Ephesians 4. And, 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 and when you're like me and you serve in leadership, it's like every now and then there's that discussion oh, where do you fit in there? Apostle, prophet, pastor, you know? And over the years, all sorts of answers. Uh, I've got about, no, no. When did we first start talking about that stuff, Grace? Around 1988, 89. Uh, so, been exploring it for a while. Fellow, I said, so Paul, what does it matter? Why would you descend from simply being my beloved son to seeing yourself as an apostle? You get what I'm saying here? Or an evangelist, or a pastor, or this, or a prophet. Why, why would you descend from just being my son? As my son, I can send you off there to do an apostolic thing or a prophetic thing, 
or an evangelist thing, or a pastor thing, you know, or a teacher thing. But why would you, you want to put on a label when actually you've got me? Just lift your eyes up. Just being the beloved sons of God, faithful until death. Polycarp, faithful until death. I thought of David this morning, King David. Uh, and there's a story about King David which is a bit different. Well, it's in the Bible, but you probably haven't heard this one often. He had a bit of an affair with this lady Bathsheba, and you probably know she got pregnant. And there's some things that God brought to his attention. There was repentance. There was some things to sort it out. But there's still a baby. And this baby was born and got sick and wasn't well. And so David, he, he's, the, he's the king of the land, but he, this is his son. So he's in this, he's just before God, and, and the way they put it there, he's like in sackcloth and ashes. He's wailing, he's before God, he's interceding, he's crying out that God would save his baby. And then the baby died. And the people were afraid to tell David, and he sees him in the room looking in a certain way. He says, what's going on? Tell me. He's died, isn't he? He said, yes. They said, why didn't you tell me? Well, we were afraid to tell you. Because, you know, you were so in grief and so distraught at, at the baby being sick. We thought, what's going to happen when he's died? And this is what happened. David got up, he cleaned up, he put on his clothes. He said, Dad, he said, why the change? He said, while he was alive, this child, there was a chance that God would heal him and he would be with me. But now that he's gone to be with God, I know he won't come to be with me, but there'll be a day when I go to be with him. I think that's a picture of faithful unto death. Faithful unto death. Trusting God unto death. We, we talk about it, um, you can talk about a seed. And we know that Jesus said that he likened himself to a seed going down into the ground and dying. And he likened being, being faithful unto death, to the cross, to being like a seed that goes down into the ground and dying. Why? So that seed could become many seeds. So if a seed wants to ever come into its potential, its purpose, everything that it's meant to be, it has to be faithful unto death. And maybe that's a picture of what it looks like to be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. Maybe the, the, the seed growing to be the plant it potentially is and bringing forth the fruit that it may have in it is the crown of life. And can you imagine a seed thinking, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get that ground. That ground doesn't look too attractive. I, I know within me is a tree, but maybe I can just dress up like one. That, that'll work. I'll, I'll put on some, you know... Or maybe I'll just have a dream of trees and, and I'll, get, I'll find some other seeds and we'll start some meetings studying trees and dreaming of trees and praying about trees and proclaiming trees and we'll do all the things about plants but there's no way we're going on that ground. No, no, we're, we're just going to... That ground doesn't look too attractive. <laughs> in fact, you know, I've heard that it's pretty dark down there and, and I've heard some really bad things happen in the ground. It's like... Like, I've got around me this, this shell. And this shell is really useful because it protects me from all the stuff going on around me. And, 
And I've heard you go down in that ground, this shell dissolves. And oh, I don't know, I can't imagine being about this safety net, this shell. But we all know that the only way that seed can ever produce and be what its purpose is to be, it has to be going to the ground and, in a sense, die to be in the seed. So the plant can come out. And that's something about what this is about here. Be faithful unto death. So you can have the crown of life. It's just trust God as if you're a seed being planted in God's love. Following the path of Jesus. One of the, the verses in the Bible I like is First uh, John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, I might just be a little seed planted in the love of God. But see, when you get planted in the love of God, the love of God, as we, we said last week, comes get put in our hearts. So I might find there's a lot of trouble coming my way in the world. That, that is just hard, hard, hard. And, and it may even be you know, death. But greater is the love of God in me than what this world can bring at me. And, and one of the mysteries, and one of the things that maybe the church has missed sometimes, is God doesn't provide, promise escape from difficulty. That's all Scripture basically says that, doesn't it? Uh, but he does say, greater will be my love in you than the suffering that comes at you, on you, greater. And it wants to produce the crown of life. And I'm going to suggest that the crown of life has something to do with eternity and going to be with at the end of our life, but I think it also has something to do with how we live for God today. And I think maybe for us the crown of life can be just knowing I am a beloved son or daughter of God. It defines me, it shapes me, it informs me, it leads me, it actually impacts on everything I am and do. It's the crown, my crown of life, to live as his beloved son, his beloved daughter. I may get to act like an apostle somewhere for a while, but that's lower than just being his beloved son. It's not so much lower, it's just a, an assignment. It's not the relationship. Because when you come into this place of being like a beloved son or daughter of God, you start discovering things. It's like, oh, my safe place is him. It's, it's not an earthly configuration of ideas or, or people or things. It's him. I can be in an unsafe environment in amongst people or in places and feel safe. I mean, if they're about to shoot me, I may feel nervous. Uh, I shouldn't say that. But my inner sense of being safe is because I know I'm his beloved son. That's my crown of life. It's not from the environment around me. It's nice to be in a safe environment as well, isn't it? But I'm just saying, hey, that doesn't determine me. That, that's having the crown of life. 
my place of rest isn't being a beloved son. I'm a son. You can be a daughter, ladies. Yeah, I'm going to say son. <laughs> of God. It, it has little to do with my you know, action in the world. What I'm doing every day and going to work or doing assignments or getting things prepared, meetings, whatever. It, it's actually my way I rest in him and I take it with me. I take it places. Because it's me. In him, in him, in me. Have you ever noticed a verse in it's John 14, 23, and Jesus saying, oh, by the way, um, when the Spirit comes in, you will come and make our home with you. Oh, I think an intriguing verse, yeah. You know what I've discovered? I'm always at home. I'm always at home. I can be at home at home in my house. But I can just be at home with God all the time, anywhere. It's my crown of life. And he wants that for all his children. Be faithful unto death and you have this crown of life just to live like a beloved child of God in every circumstance and situation, the good ones and the hard ones. You ever had those things when a few things happen and your mind is just surrounded by questions? You don't have to answer any of those questions to have peace. If you're just sitting, eating of the tree of life. If you're over the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to struggle to have peace until you start getting some figuring out stuff. And I know both sides. And every now and then you get tempted to go back over to that tree. Oh no, no, stay here Paul. Answers will come as you need them. Which doesn't mean the mind stops working, it just means it rests. Beloved sons and daughters of God. We're gonna stop there. Amen. One more verse. This will be a quickie. He has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. He who has an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's the Holy Spirit saying and whispering in your heart? Had that little song we sung the last two weeks that goes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Here's a, you know, until that is like a resting truth in our spirits, there's not too much more to know about Christian and church and all that. No, no. It begins and ends in Jesus, in his love. And if it takes us out of that place, you want to be careful where you're going, even if it sounds like a really good, really Christian. But if you start to lose that inner sense of, I'm just a beloved child of God, you go back, no, I'm just staying with Jesus. Man, Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace on us. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you at any moment of every day we can come and be just your beloved sons and daughters and know that is a reality in our lives. And my prayer for me and each of us, Lord, is, is that we would have experiences with your love that we cannot explain. And you would be coming and being the revealed love in us again and again and again. As we are those who say, God, here am I. I desire to live faithful 
unto death. Amen. We're going to sing a couple of songs just to allow ourselves to worship and uh, and you can do what you want with those songs. Uh, the quick thought I had there, I have started praying more like this. God, both blind to death. I'm not sure if I can do that, but I want to. And I'm inviting you, Holy Spirit, to work in me with that faithfulness. Um, I'm giving up on trying, but I'm not giving up on participating, with, you know, on sticking with God. Does that make sense? Yes, amen. Let's go. Put those songs up. <laughs>